0: now on this invest talk podcast justin klein listens to your questions hi Stephen justin this is kevin from walker center again thank you as always for hosting a great podcast and all the great information i have a question about
1: stale taco the ticker symbol is taco t-a-c-o it's being acquired by jack in the box
0: and provides unbiased answers
1: first off whether you should go on to it depends on your tax situation I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, uh, maybe it's in an IRA or something like that, then I would just sell it tomorrow, move on, find better ways to use
0: that money. Invest Talk. Over 36 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888 99 Chart.
2: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial, Steve Peasley President, KPP Financial, Independent Thinking, Shared Success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, December 9th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk and We only have just a few short weeks left in the year, and there's a lot to accomplish now through year end. You might be doing some tax loss selling. You might just be looking back at your strategy for the year and reviewing your your wins and your losses. That's something you should do every year. Understand what went into the things that made you money and what maybe you were missing on the things that lost you money. Now, not everything is going to teach you a lesson, but unless you look back, and you you ponder why certain things happen and review that where you might be failing, then you're not going to get better. And that's our job here. And that's your job each and every day is to become a better investor, saver, and spender. And so that's what I'm going to do on this show is to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success, in order to give you the facts and perspective so you can make good money decisions and build a comfortable financial future. Now on this podcast, we will operate or we, we, no matter what I'm talking about, whether it's a particular stock, a strategy, a sector, uh, something in the personal finance realm, something in the savings realm. I'm going to give you the facts as I see them. I have a lot of systems, databases, uh, reports that I can pull that we use every single day to make decisions for clients. And that's what I do on the show It's pull a lot of that. Obviously I'm doing a quick dive and I can do that because I've, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I can distill a lot of information down into uh, a quick understanding of the business and, and, and how well uh, things are going, whether it's a good value, whether the technicals look good or bad, et cetera. And so That's why I'm here. That's what I'm going to do for you about particular names. It could be about a sector. It could be about a mutual fund, an ETF, whatever it is. I'm here to answer your questions. So I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to reach out to me during our live stream program, which airs every weekday from 4 to 5 Pacific time. And you can interact interact with us right now. At eight 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 ninety nine chart. If you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. That number as well is eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, best Talk. My name is Enrique from San Diego. Love the show. My question today is about Western Union. I personally use it to send money, and it's currently down forty percent
2: from its highs, and it pays a dividend. Of 5.42%, and the
0: payout ratio is 47%. So, my question is Is the
1: dividend sustainable, and is it a good investment, long term hold? I'm thinking five to 10 years. I uh, look forward to your answer on the show again. I love the show. All right. This is Western Union, and this is uh, definitely down big. It's down about from its 52 week high, down 32% from its 52 week high in the, the high 20s. Now we're at uh, $18.03, but that's up from 52 week low of $15.69 made just a couple of weeks ago. And this is a name that is growing its earnings recently, but a lot of that has to do, sorry, earnings per share. A lot of that has to do with the retirement of their shares, meaning they're buying back a ton of shares over the past Five years, they've gone from 481 million shares outstanding to about 402 million shares outstanding. So 20% of their uh, shares have been retired over that time period, more than that actually. And so they've been, uh, they're consistently plowing their free cash flow into dividends and share buybacks. Their dividend has increased over the last five years from 16 cents all the way to 23 cents per share per quarter. So the current dividend yield is around 5.2%. Now this is a play really on basically taking the company private. They're using that money to buy back shares and uh, eventually uh, reduce the float. Uh, there's about six days. Let's see, six days outstanding uh, uh, short times about six million, yeah, uh, thirty-six million shares are flow, which is. Roughly about 10% of the flow, so there's a decent amount of, of, of shares that are short, and I think that's a that could be fuel for some upside. So I like this. Uh, we like this name. We recently purchased it because it just became so cheap compared to the overall fundamentals. And I understand the longer-term secular headwinds for this, where more money is being moved through uh, through, through crypto, through uh, apps like Venmo and PayPal, etc. But as this caller said, there's still plenty of people who move money uh, around the world through Western Union. So uh, I, I do think it is, it is good value down here, uh, but you have to understand the, the longer-term challenges and keep an eye on that and make sure that their business isn't deteriorating too fast. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The labor productivity rate fell at the fastest pace since, ni- since 1960. Now, keep in mind that the Federal Reserve officials watch productivity data closely because Low productivity also tends to fuel inflation. So we're going to look at that story. Also, we're going to look at globalization and what trends we're seeing there. And then Citigroup. Citigroup is looking to shed some of their clients uh, for climate goals. And I'm going to give you an understanding of what that will mean for various industries, especially the energy industry, which is something that uh, they're, they're focusing on. Uh, initially at least. All right. So let's look at the market today. The S&P was down 33 points, about two thirds of 1%. The NYSE broader index, that was down 119 points, a little over 1% on the day. Uh, So we had a nice rebound off of major support. And we basically ran into some resistance. Now, it's one day. And yesterday was kind of a pause day. So still, uh, we're, we're back to probably neutral. Uh, if we held the near the lows from earlier this week, late last week, then I would say that would be more bearish. And the fact that we've recaptured the 100-day on the NYSE, we've recaptured the 50-day on the S&P 500, and even the 20-day back near those highs, uh, it means we're, we're, we're about neutral. But we do have a Fed meeting next week. Okay, we have a Fed meeting next week and the market's certainly going to react to that, to what they say, what their plan is for QT. Remember, November and December were announced in early November of what type of tightening they were going to going to do for these two months. But they said nothing about January, February and beyond. And this is the meeting where they will they will talk about that. Are they going to accelerate from 15 billion dollars? That's what they've kind of hinted at. So maybe they double it to go 30 billion per month. And then wind it wind up the QT program uh, by the end of the first quarter. That's certainly a possibility. And I think uh, a, a, an increasing possibility of what their guidance might be because they want to get done with that and then wait a little while before they raise rates. And right now the, 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 the market is pricing that they'll raise rates in June, which I think is a little bit too aggressive. So uh, we'll see how that reacts, but definitely a big week coming up next week. But mainly, you're seeing a uh, downside in crypto. I said that. I think uh, we're as, as, as liquidity is, is tightening up, uh, you have the debt ceiling being passed, which will bring some, uh, bring some liquidity out of the system as the Fed goes out there, the, excuse me, the Treasury goes out there and borrows more money through the Treasury market and issuing bonds. That's going to pull dollars out of the system, pull liquidity out of the system, and nothing impacts, nothing is impacted more by tighter liquidity conditions than the outskirts of the investment world, which would be crypto, uh, money losing tech companies. And that's why you've seen that side of the market really fall out of bed lately. So that's kind of a quick overview. But most importantly, like I said, next week will be crucial to starting a new trend, whether that's an uptrend in the market continuing or a rollover. There goes into Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And with the changes we see happening in the market, it is important to be diligent as we go into year end and build a strong strategy for 2022, which will be a more challenging year. And that's why we're taking your calls. To help you out at 888 99 Chart.
0: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Ron from Florida. I was interested in stabilizing my portfolio by investing in Colgate, Pomolith, CL. wondered what you thought about that. And also,
2: Royal Bank of Canada, R-Y. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, definitely two different types of companies. You're talking about uh, consumer products, consumer staple company like Colgate, and then a bank, a Canadian bank, which uh, can be very volatile, depends on the yield curve and all that. And so neither uh, would be, I think, related to an, the other. They, they actually move very differently uh, and very based on very different macro factors. So I wouldn't consider I wouldn't consider both of them in the same boat. Colgate, yes, would be more stable. I actually looked at this the other day, and while my biggest worry is that earnings announcements or earnings expectations have been coming down recently, but historically it's at a decent value. Now, they do have a good amount of debt. Uh, it's a slow grower. It's trading at a, a little bit higher multiple than I would like to see. But compared to a lot of the other consumer staple companies out there, and and I was actually uh, looking at this compared to Procter & Gamble, I actually liked Colgate better. Uh, So I'm going to give Colgate a modest thumbs up, Okay, maybe a three and a half out of five. Uh, So I I kind of like it, uh, but the issue is inflation. That's the biggest uh, worry is that inflation remains elevated, but it is moderating some, and that should be uh, beneficial for something like a Colgate. So uh, I'm going to give Colgate a thumbs up. Now, RY, Royal Bank of Canada, that's another story. This is lumped in with a lot of the other banks that are out there. And with the yield curve flattening over the past few months, that is definitely a negative for the banking industry as a whole. And so, and then you have on top of that, the egregious housing prices in Canada and just the, their, fun, their, their finance system has been or their economy has been even more financialized than than ours in some way, and there's been a lot of money piled in from China into Vancouver and other parts of Canada, and as China has their struggles, that's going to impact Canada as well and has impacted Canada. So uh, I'm not a fan of Royal Bank of Canada, not a name that I would be uh, super excited about investing at these levels. If I want a bank, I'm still going with a regional bank, but definitely with the yield curve flattening, I'm not getting I'm not getting overly bullish on on really any banks out there. We've been uh, reducing our exposure to to the banking system uh, as a whole because of that flattening yield curve, and so less bullish on that side. So Colgate, modest thumbs up. Royal Bank of Canada, modest thumbs down. Thanks for the call. Now my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline: the labor f- productivity rate fell at the fastest pace since 1960. Now, keep in mind that the Fed tends to keep an eye on these levels because it indicates or can push inflation up or down. Now, labor productivity fell at the fastest pace in more than 60 years in the third quarter. And this this is a measure of output versus energy. Non-farm business sector productivity declined 5.2% from the previous three months and the slide happened as output increased 1.8%, while hours worked rose 7.4%. So you would think that you would get more uh, output from higher uh, amount of hours worked, but that's not the case here. And so that's really the big uh, issue. And uh, it, this is this is one factor, and it's one quarter, so you, you want to look at a trend. But it, it is interesting of note and, and to watch because if wages go up and productivity doesn't Go with it, then that can be that can be even a bigger drag on profits, and that means companies raise prices faster, and that kind of pushes inflation. So you always have to look at the labor market in conjunction with productivity uh, as a whole, and certainly that could be supply constraints, etc., that have impacted that. But definitely something to note. This is Invest Talk, and if you've never called, why not do it now? I'll be curious to hear your questions, and I'll give you my unbiased answers. Our phone lines never close, so give me a call at 888 99 Chart.
0: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Hey, this is John calling from Santa Cruz. I have a question about Bitcoin. I own some of it using
1: GBTC,
2: Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I also own some directly on PayPal. I wonder what you think is the best vehicle for owning Bitcoin. Thank you.
1: Well, the best vehicle is probably going to be directly owning it through some sort of crypto wallet where... Hopefully, your fees are, are limited. You know, that's the funny thing about crypto. is supposed to be this frictionless, costless way to transfer value. But if you look at the fees on Coinbase and PayPal, and they're pretty high. So uh, you have to keep fees in mind, especially in consideration of uh, the amount you're you're paying, you know, how much you're buying. Uh, and maybe it's a GBTC, so and that's uh, commission-free. Uh, maybe you're buying that at a discount. Remember, it's a it's on ETF. It's a closed end fund, etc. So, you you definitely need to under understand that dynamic. Uh, now, GBTC does charge two percent a year, so there is a fee there, and you have to consider that too. So, there's a lot of vehicles. Uh, I think depends on who you are, how what your ease of use. If you want to buy it in an IRA, obviously a GBTC is a lot easier than a crypto IRA wallet, which I know they think they're out there, but uh, that becomes a lot more complicated. So. Uh, It just depends on on, on where you're buying it. Now, I wouldn't be buying here. I think crypto is weakening. You've seen that. uh, Bitcoin uh, broke through 52,000 over the weekend, did rebound and retest that level. And that's the surest indication that that is a strong support level is when it breaks that support and then retests that level. Remember, support once broken is now resistance. And it rallied into that uh, through Wednesday uh, night, last night. Uh, and was really struggled since then. And now it's down to 48,000. It looks uh, looks like it's starting a, a legit downtrend and it would not shock me to see uh, Bitcoin back into the teens sometime in 2022. So be careful out there with this space. Remember, when liquidity starts to dry up, the riskier parts of the market tend to get hurt the most. And you're really starting to see that bite now. And you need to be aware of that, especially if you're a newer investor you just start investing over the past couple of years and you all you know is a market where liquidity is abundant. Well, if you see a tightening Fed, that can mean a very different dynamic. And that's what we're starting to walk into. And that's why you've seen some buzz saws out there uh, from Cryptoland to uh, DocuSign to Zoom to a lot of these big, high-flying, high-multiple tech stocks are just getting taken to the woodshed. And this has to do with a mix of Poor fundamentals, uh, over-allocation by investors, meaning they're just overweight uh, and a lot of weak hands, despite what you taught here about hodling in the crypto market. Well, when you're levered and you get uh, you get a margin call, guess what? You need to sell. I don't care how much you want to hodl. Your uh, your broker is going to force you to sell. And so that's what you've seen in that space and uh, across the, the the tech landscape. And so all of uh, those new investors that get all jazzed up about all of these exciting tech names ignored the fundamentals. Guess what? Fundamentals don't matter when the price goes up, but they certainly start to matter when price goes down. And then they realize there's not a whole lot underneath the surface for them to to hold up the price. And that's why you've seen a lot of cratering in the space as a whole. So I digress. Thank you for the call. And uh, hopefully that answered your question. Now, let's touch a bit on globalization or deglobalization. Now we know that supply chain problems, labor shortages, and increased demand from fiscal stimulus have created some short-term inflationary pressures. But there's the deglobalization pressures that we spoke about on our webinar about a month ago uh, that continue to to roll on and we know that technology trade level liberalization has encouraged a lot of businesses to outsource their production to low wage countries like China and elsewhere and liberal immigration policies have also allowed many low wage workers to move to wealthier countries. And that's those, those combined have really hurt the average worker. That's why you've seen, you know, the rust belt and, and a lot of those, areas of the country become a lot more uh, populist in their their politics. And so supply chain bottlenecks will eventually ease. We know that. But other trends are likely to increase and persist, such as buy America, uh, increase in tariffs, moving production back here to the U.S., where they're less vulnerable to certain trade policies and depressed immigration inflows. All these things are contributing to it. Now, MIT has found that those parts of the consumer price index influenced by global factors, such as commodities, currency fluctuations, global value chains, that drove half of the change in the index between 2015 and 2017. That's up from 25% in the early 90s before China was admitted to the WTO. There's another study by the University of Notre Dame that found that in a 2020 paper that international trade had the effect of reducing U.S. CPI by an annual 0.1 to 0.4 percentage points between 97 and 2018. And so these factors have contributed to disinflation. The uh, services inflation has, over that time, averaged about 3%. But goods inflation has been dramatically reduced. That's why you had this low level of Overall inflation, 1%, 2% or so, but that is now shifting higher, probably closer to 3 or 4% on average. Lower than we are today, but still at a higher rate. So after the break, I'm going to get into more of why this is happening. Now we're heading to a break. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
0: Got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk 99 chart.
1: Now before the break, I touched on how globalization has Kept goods price inflation at bay for the better part of almost thirty years now, and from 1995 to 2011, the share of foreign content in global manufacturing production increased from 17.3 percent to 26.5 percent. But if you look at our webinar from about a month ago, it's actually on our YouTube channel. So if you want to want to uh, go take a look at that, global trade actually peaked in 2008 and the share of foreign content in global manufacturing production fell from 2011 at 26.5 to as of 2020 23.5 Now that doesn't sound dramatic but it definitely has impacted things like global foreign direct investment which is a gauge of how much money is invested across borders so this expansion and investment overseas peaked at around $2 trillion in 2015 and fell pre-pandemic 2018 to $1.5 trillion. Now, city economists think that prices for household furnishing and operations, which declined nearly consistently following the 08 crisis, they started climbing in 2017 when Trump started to implement Chinese tariffs, eventually imposing a 25% tariff on those type of products. Now, prices rose 3% between October 2017 and 2020 and have since gained another 8.5%. Trump also put tariffs on steel, aluminum, uh, and other imports from China, and that increased the cost to the consumer by about $51 billion annually. Now, if you think that Biden came in and started to go the other way, you'd be wrong. In fact, He's while he's negotiated the end of some tariffs on steel and aluminum. He left most of the tariffs on goods from China pretty much intact. In fact, the Commerce Department last month doubled the levy imposed on China, Canadian lumber to 18 percent from the level that was imposed in 2017. And this is because the U.S. producers complain that Canadian exports are subsidized. Then you have Biden administration in June they banned imports of solar panels from China's China's Xinjiang region over labor practices and that puts the price of polysilicon up from six dollars and twenty cents to twenty dollars a kilogram so definitely changed the dynamic in that industry as a whole and there's there's just a lot of aspects. China, the Biden administration is seeking to bring back supply chains on critical things like sim- semiconductors, pharmaceuticals, rare earth minerals, all pushing for ways to procure more American-made products. And so, this is a bipartisan endeavor. And deglobalization is here. Not maybe will it happen, it's it's happening. The question is how much will it happen, how fast, and how much will government be involved in that? Now, economists at J.P. Morgan estimate that U.S. immigration population this year is about 3 million lower than it would be from pre-2017 immigration trends. Basically saying that if those trends pre-Trump stayed in place, how many more workers would we have? Well, this year, about 3 million more. And that's also impacting the labor market in a big, big way. If you look at the deciles of the labor force that's actually benefiting from this labor inflation, it's the lower income workers that are benefiting the most. Those that uh, that work in uh, hospitality and maybe work in food service, they're actually getting the most increase as a percentage in their wages. And a lot of that has to do with immigrants, less immigrants coming into the country and there's uh, a, a more and more people who don't want to commute. They want to look for jobs where they can work from home, as a lot of jobs are that way. If you're if you're a more uh, a white collar worker, and so uh, that's that's another trend. There's there's obviously a confluence of factors, but that is also a big factor that's driving inflation. So this deglobalization is is here, and governments are helping with it, along with demographic shifts, more baby boomers retiring, and that's certainly. Also driving uh, labor dynamics as well. So something to definitely keep an eye on uh, and understand that inflation, while, we'll, while it will moderate in 2022, will stay relatively elevated. We're going to go to Dave in Cleveland looking at Verizon.
0: Uh, I own it, but I'm looking at adding to my position and your thoughts and what a good uh, uh, buy point would be for Verizon. V, uh, VZ.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, well, uh, I think Verizon uh, and, and even AT&T, all the, the telecom companies, they're good buys down here. They've been beaten down this year, uh, but they're still very, very uh, profitable. And they are it's a competitive marketplace. They have the bid up for Spectrum. There's been some issues with rollout of 5G and all that. But uh, recently, they've uh, kind of taken another stair step down. I think a lot of this has to do with tax loss selling. There's not a lot of losses out there. And so this is... Where I think most of the selling is being concentrated, so I actually think these are uh, good buys down here. Uh, that Verizon, we have a value of closer to sixty dollars per share now. It's at fifty dollars, so about twenty percent higher than it is today. Nice, solid dividend, good cash flow, solid balance sheet. So I, I like Verizon, and I think it's definitely getting hit with the uh, with, with the tax loss selling. Now let's put it back to a voice bank question at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hey, Steven, Justin, Marco from New York, my five-year-old son, and I
2: listen to your podcast every night, so thank you very much for putting it on. One question I have is, what do you think of the stock, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, ticker Jazz, J-A-Z-Z. Thank you.
1: All right, this is Jazz Pharmaceuticals. They develop specialty drugs in the therapeutic areas of narcolepsy, oncology, pain, psychiatry, and others. Their revenue growth is relatively strong, 39% year-over-year year last quarter. But last quarter, their their earnings were down 3% year-over-year. Year. And you're starting to see some leveling out of their earnings from 2019 levels at $15.38. Only supposed to be $15.69 this year, up 11%. Next year, to $17.42, $123 stock. And the big worry, in my mind, is are the technicals. Uh, it is very weak. It is in a downtrend. And a lot of this has to do, I think, with legislation going through Congress that is going to scrutinize drug prices uh, more acutely. And this is a very bipartisan issue. It's very popular to negotiate prescription drug prices on behalf of the, the government for uh, taxpayers in, in, in the case of Medicare, Medicaid, uh, etc. And so... This is weighing on the sector as a whole. And that's why I would, I I struggle to get excited about this name. Uh, They do have a lot of debt. They're still trading at about five times enterprise value to to revenue, uh, 17 times enterprise value to EBITDA, which is uh, kind of expensive even after this drop. So I'm going to pass on this. Despite the revenue growth, despite that the recent earnings growth, uh, there, there's it's trading at a low multiple for a reason, and that is the pressure on drug prices and scrutiny around, uh, around what they currently trade for, what those drug prices currently go for, uh, and patent cliffs as well. So you have to watch for their patent cliffs. I don't know Jazz's particularly, but you definitely have to be on the lookout for that because that is a big potential uh, headwind that a lot of these large pharmaceutical companies have. And you need to make sure that the ones you invest in don't have them. And uh, you want to do a deep dive on jazz as well. The clock is ticking quickly down to the end of 2021. And at this point, most investors may have some work to do with regards to balancing their finances and their portfolio. So I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial. We're, we are based in Irvine, California, which if you don't know, is in Orange County, just south of L.A. Remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KP Financial, we operate with the same philosophy: independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along with our success, and we do that by providing unbiased guidance, both on and off air, and practicing parallel investing, meaning we invest in the same strategies that we implement for our clients. Same percentage, same price, same time. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free. for portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. It's easy. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial Office in Irvine at 800 557 5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, this is Invest Talk. Steve and I thank you for downloading our podcast and telling your friends about us as well. We'll play another caller question in 30 seconds. So hang on. Hi this question is for Justin. I know you talked about uranium before and I am pretty bullish on uranium's future. Currently I hold the ETF URNM as well as shares in UUUU. Do you recommend that I sell shares in the UUUU and then just hold the URNM or would it be okay to hold both of them? I am a little bit worried about being over leveraged on uranium. Thank you. Well. I can't give you great advice without a couple things. Understanding what percentage of your overall portfolio, URNM and Quadruple U are 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 in aggregate. So I I don't know if you're overweight. If it's five percent of your overall portfolio, that's not a big deal. If it's fifty percent, that is a big deal. And then understanding your risk tolerance level, are you an aggressive investor? Are you more moderate or conservative? And that will impact your overall percentage as well. And then what you have to understand is you're looking at, while they're both exposure to the uranium space, one is the underlying company, Energy Fuels, quadruple U, $1.2 billion market cap, and they are an exploration company. They have very little revenue. Last quarter, only $700,000. Yeah, I said that. $700,000, lost five cents a share. And so this is going to be extremely volatile. And we'll actually have more upside if uranium does continue to grind higher and, and, and take off. Whereas URNM is an ETF, has a combination of different uranium-exposed companies, and Quadruple U is one of them. In fact, let's see, Energy Fuels, uh, yep, it's the fifth-largest uh, company in urnm or exposure in urnm and then the number one is kazataprom out of kazakhstan the largest uranium miner about 17 percent of the portfolio just behind that is kamiko is 16 and percent they're out of canada also one of the largest they're basically the two largest and then you have sprot uranium trust that's eight percent and then a bunch of other much much smaller names below that and so you're much more well diversified in tri- triple U, quadruple U. If you have some mine accident, uh, permit pulled, whatever it is, that could have a huge impact on the price of of that company. And so those are different in their risk profiles, and you need to be prepared for that. So hope that helped you understand where you're at. Let's go to Parham in the Bay Parham in the Bay Area. Looking at hey, Mo.
2: Yeah, thanks for taking the call. I was looking at it from a long-term
0: uh, dividend uh, perspective. Uh, looks like looks at a good PE multiple right now. So I just wanted to get you guys thoughts. Thanks for the show.
1: Okay, looking at M O. This is Altria Group, and this is U S. Philip Morris. Basically, they. They market smokeless tobacco, John Middleton, uh, Michelle Wine Estates, Newmark, Philip Morris Capital. Uh, so they, they're well diversified, but they're in the tobacco space. They also hold a 10% interest in Anheuser-Busch. So understand that. So it's a, it's a large company, $82 billion market cap, has pulled back fairly dramatically, about 15% from its 52-week high, yields about 8%, and the big question is, is that 8% sustainable. Their cash dividend pay ratio is about 80%, so they do have the cash flow for that, but their dividend growth has definitely slowed down over the past uh, couple of years and that may worry that worries me just a bit. Uh, and then you have to ask yourself do you want exposure to domestic tobacco or foreign tobacco. Philip Morris has much better growth because they are, they operate domestic or uh, internationally entirely. Where there's more population growth, more uh, demand for cigarettes, where demand for tobacco is in a secular decline here in the U.S., and so you're going to get more revenue growth, earnings growth, dividend growth out of Philip Morris as opposed to Altria. You're going to get a higher current dividend yield, but is that going to be enough? for the longer term, which one is going to really outperform. So if you're looking for a dividend yield today, Altria is the way to go. But Philip Morris is probably a better way to go if you're looking for better long-term growth, profitability, dividend growth, uh, et cetera. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday. That's here to help you make good decisions and build your own version of financial freedom. And we're heading into our final break, but our work continues. So get your questions in now at 888 99 Chart.
2: Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. My question has to do with insuring residential rental properties. Got a question for Steve or Justin? What do you think a
1: target price to get in would be?
2: You're the best person to ask it. 888 99 Chart.
1: Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kevin from Walker Center. Again, thank you, as always, for hosting a great podcast and all the great information. I have a question about Del Taco. The ticker symbol is Taco, T-A-C-O. It's being acquired by Jack in the Box. There hasn't been much, some opposition in Del Taco. I'm wondering if I should just go ahead and exit it or if you feel that being acquired by Jack in the Box, having that company is uh, something I should continue holding on to or just go ahead and take my profits and uh, move on to something else.
0: Look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, this is a great question. And I like the way you phrased it because it has a little bit of an uh, error, an error that a lot of people have, a lot of people make, excuse me. First off, whether you should undo to do it depends on your tax situation. If it's in a taxable account, we're going on through year-end. This is not going to close until next year. So do you want to take that potential gain uh, this year or next year? That's something to think about. And then you have to look at whether you're going to get cash or shares. Well, guess what? This is an all-cash transaction. When a company goes out and buys another company, there are multiple ways that they can Acquire that company. It could be an all-share transaction, mean, meaning that you get some sort of uh, number of shares based on, you know, for every 100 shares you own, you get uh, 12 shares of the other company, et cetera. Uh, th- there's always some ratio. So it could do that, or it could be a combination of cash or and shares, and it can be all cash, and this one is all cash. So no matter what, whether you sell it or you hold it until that acquisition is complete, you're going to get cash. You are not going to get shares in Jack in the Box. Now, you certainly can go buy Jack, J-A-C-K. The Jack in the Box is buying them. But you're not going to just automatically get Jack in the Box shares because Jack in the Box bought them. Because they're buying it with cash. Okay? So, that's really your your first question. It's not, probably not going to move. It hasn't moved much since the announcement over the last few days. And I don't think it's going to fall apart. Now, there could be a potential buyer that might come in, another buyer that might come in and offer more. But uh, this is they paid about 80% more than the closing price pre-announcement. So it's all already kind of an expensive purchase. So I wouldn't imagine there's going to be competing bids. But I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, uh, maybe it's in an IRA or something like that, then I would just sell it tomorrow, move on, find better ways to use that money. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, I want to follow up with a quote from the new Citigroup CEO, Jane Frazier. She spoke to the Wall Street Journal in the CEO Council Summit on Tuesday and said that the bank will be cutting off some of its clients to meet its climate goals. And the bank is going to go industry by industry to see how they can fulfill their pledge of a portfolio that is achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And they will consider whether the companies are pivoting to become greener themselves, uh, as well as how important they will be, they are to city as clients. So how big they are really. And this is just another shot across the bow for energy companies and making the cost of capital a lot higher. Just think of cannabis companies how difficult it is to do business because they can't bank and their cost of capital is a lot higher than it would be otherwise and that's starting to become what's happening with energy oil and natural gas coal well remember there's pendulum swings in the market and right now and just starting to come undone a bit but When money is so cheap and there's so much capital chasing a certain area of the economy, like right now, tech, money becomes super cheap. And that's why you have an abundance of tech companies, because it's so easy to get financing and start it up and and all that. And the problem is, is that there's too much money chasing too few actually productive companies. And there's so many other companies that are bid up to too expensive. Well, energy is starting to go the other way, where there's a dearth of capital, where capital is becoming more expensive. And that means you're going to get less and less of it because projects become more and more expensive to finance. And that's why you are heading for a higher energy price is because higher cost of capital and more stringent government policy. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now with 36.7 million, yeah, we're heading quickly towards 37 million mark very soon. And we thank you for that. And you can find your Invest Talk episode anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you do that and leave your question, we will prioritize your answers.